everybody welcome back to head on a platter it's me nikki casually acting as if i didn't totally miss last monday i'm sorry there were a lot of things going on and time got away from me and you will find that it does that a lot so um, before we get started, I just want to give a shout out to my best friend and her sister. My best friend became an aunt and her sister became a mom. Isn't that amazing? God is so good, honestly. So ecstatic for their family and very excited for what is to come, welcoming their newest family member. Okay, anyway. I wanted to, I started thinking, um, I had a conversation with a dear friend of mine, someone I absolutely adore, and he is, he's a non-believer, and I, it got me thinking about, you know, what are the common reasons that people don't believe in God, and it's always interesting to compile all of those answers. So I did a little bit of reflecting in what I had seen in my life, just kind of going along on this path. And I thought I'd talk about them and kind of where it's also to strengthen my own reasonings and hopefully yours too in believing in God. Because sometimes I, I feel a little bit crazy you know, I'm, I'm telling people and I'm so excited about this really awesome, you know, invisible dad in the sky who's taking care of me and who loves me and wants to listen to everything I have to say. That sounds insane when you think about it. So that's why I wanted to ask the question, you know, why people don't believe this and where can we as Christians help them along if, if there is any any possible way. So let's go through a couple reasons. I've got six of them. Of course, there's way more, but these are just kind of what I've seen going back into my repertoire of memories. So number one, I don't need God to be a good person. I do just fine. Number two, Buddha, monks, Hinduism, fill in the blank here, some other religion or philosophy is just as peaceful and I'd rather listen to that. Number three, this is a this is a doozy. There's too many rules, the people are way too judgmental and everyone seems miserable. Number four, life is meant to be lived. I don't want to miss out on anything and it can't be bad for me if I like it and it's my choice. Number five, there is some tragedy in my life that was terrible or I've seen terrible things happen to people close to me that I care about. And if God is so good, why would he allow that? And number six, no proof. And I believe solely in science. So those are the reasons that I'll be discussing. Like I mentioned, again, there's a myriad of other reasons, some more serious, some more simple, but for the sake of time and clarity, I'll be speaking on these because I've heard them in my life and perhaps you have too. Number one, I don't need God to be a good person. 
This reason I heard a lot from friends that I know to be decent people. And I have some news for you. They're, they're kind of right. You can be a good person. You are capable of good. I'll give you an anecdote. I heard this from one of my best guy friends that uh, I knew back in high school. And he's one of the greatest people that I've ever known. Let's call him Trevor. If you looked solely at Trevor's actions and demeanor, the aggregate of how he treated people was the epitome of a Christian. Trevor is patient, kind, generous, not to mention incredibly smart and driven, and he always has a smile on his face. The first one to lend a helping hand and the last one to give a harsh answer or pass judgment. Trevor also had a hard start to his life when his dad left his mother, his little brother, and him behind when he was six. That forced him to grow up pretty fast. He also grew up Catholic, and much later, when I knew him, he proclaimed to be an atheist. Now, Trevor had it figured out from when we were young. Be kind to people regardless of how they treat you. And it absolutely floored me because he actually did it. And people would take advantage of his kindness. I told him one day, Trev, you know this person is using you, right? I expected him to be shocked, but instead he looked at me and he calmly said, I know. My eyes bulged out of my skull. How could Trevor know this is happening and still allow it? That is injustice, and as his best friend, I had to put a stop to it, since obviously Trevor didn't know how, and I totally did. So I prepped a whole game plan to let this person have it, and how Trevor was not going to stand for it. I planned to tell him, and as I was telling him, he very gently stopped me and said, no, Nick. I'll still do X, Y, and Z for them. And my jaw dropped. Trevor explained to me that this is who he is and it doesn't bother him that people take advantage of him or his kindness or his character. He could see that they needed something and he didn't mind being the one to give it to them. Now, at the time, again, I was young, this was high school, and I was struggling majorly with Christianity in general. And to be honest, I was having none of this Mother Teresa martyr nonsense of treating people well after they've treated me poorly. So Trevor was basically speaking a foreign language that I did not want to understand at the time. But I'm glad he spoke it. And that conversation still sticks with me nearly 12 years later. I asked Trevor later after that conversation if he can do all of that, which is exactly what the Bible tells us to do. Why didn't he believe in God then? He responded with, I don't need religion to tell me how to be a good person. And since that time, he had identified as an atheist. But he still wore his favorite cross necklace occasionally.
Trevor is right. You know, religion doesn't make us good people. And people who don't believe in God can still absolutely love people and do good things. But how? Where is it stemming from? Where does it come from? Well, Genesis 1.27. This is my favorite one to bring up the good in, in us. We are made in his image. 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. God programmed humans to love just like him because he loved us when he decided to create us. We are reflections of him, though we can choose not to love. But we do all have the capacity to love selflessly. It's quite scary and vulnerable and uncomfortable, but man, is it empowering once you've chosen to let go of your ego. One of my favorite verses comes from Paul. You'll find I enjoy quoting the books that he wrote the most because I find how crazy he was to be very relatable. (laughs) First Corinthians 13, everyone uses that verse for the love is patient, love is kind. And that is so 100% true. But I want to call attention to the preface here. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. Number two. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. All of these things that Paul is describing, these wonderful things, they mean nothing if people don't want to receive them from you. And as I'm talking to you, I'm a thousand percent talking to myself too. I know I struggle so much with presenting information to people because I have the capacity to be insensitive and impatient. I could have the knowledge that someone absolutely needs to hear and they won't hear it because I didn't listen to God's way of telling them, which is doing that with compassion and understanding. But that has definitely happened for me a time or two, or several. Anyway, how does this relate to people like Trevor? Well, God says love people, and they are. So what's the problem? Well, Jesus summed up the Ten Commandments in a sentence. Love God first and love others the way you love yourself. Trevor had the latter part of that down pat, but not the first. 1 Corinthians 13.11 When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, or adult, just so we want to be inclusive, I put childish ways behind me. I'm bringing up that verse because we can't pick and choose which verses to follow and which ones not to. 
That's reasoning the same way a child would, which means in this case, a less mature believer, you know, or a less mature follower. I know, I know. I wish we could sometimes. I wish we could pick and choose which verses to follow. It would be a lot easier. But if we could do that, that would make the whole Bible untrue. If you can choose to follow some but not others, then you have to throw the whole thing out. How can some things be true and not others? That's not a cohesive narrative. Those aren't cohesive facts that go together. So obedience will always be the greatest form of love in God's eyes. It's not your sacrifice. It's not fully utilizing your gifts, but your submission and your obedience to him. And I will say, I am proud of anyone who is humble enough to not put out more hurt into the world after they've been hurt themselves, whether they're a believer or not. That takes a lot of security, maturity, and it's it's a hard thing to do. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, again, so faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. That's 13, 13. So yes, this is true. You don't technically have to be a believer to be a good person, to love other people. You're listening to your programming, in a sense. I'm air quoting on that. Or in other words, your natural God-given inclinations. However, issues tend to arise when we don't acknowledge the one that made it possible for us to even do this in the first place. Number two, this was the Buddha, monk, Hinduism, fill in the blank, other religion or philosophy is just as peaceful. I'd rather just listen to that. So my lovely friend, Annie, let's call her from, from grad school. She recommended a book for me. Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. Annie is also not religious but she is seeking to some extent. She is warm, friendly, incredibly smart, so caring, and incredibly successful. She's very into fitness, and she loves learning the little details about people, and she loves to find small ways to give them to enrich their lives somehow. And they usually relate back to some little thing that she's learned about them. She's definitely the mom type that loves to take care of people. And she's constantly ensuring that people she's spending time with are having a good time when they're around her. So I agreed to read the book because I don't believe in being the type of Christian that rejects all of the non-Christian media before actually reading it. And that's thing that's most things in general for me. I'm not necessarily giving my recommendation to read this book, but instead, before I pick it apart or say anything about it, I want to have read it before making comments. Much like how I would expect others to do with the Bible. So think like a monk, tea lamb for short. Um, I'll choose Hinduism 
in this context of, well, Hinduism says the same thing. Why can't I just follow that instead? Because that's what this book's principles focus on. I'll give you a quick synopsis. Jay Shetty's An Indian Man from London that gave up a very lucrative future by the world's standards to become a monk instead. He ends up leaving the monastery after three years when one of the monks encourages him to go out and tell people what he's learned. Shetty describes why he made the decision to become a monk in the first place, the challenges he faced in doing so, and then he goes into what he learned during his monk journey while he was reading the sacred text of Hinduism, which is the Bhagavad Gita, or Gita for short. I thought reading this book was going to be frustrating and painful, to be honest, but I was shocked. There are countless similarities between the Bible and the Gita. I was originally thinking of making an episode just about these similarities, but I didn't want to run the risk of sounding like I was endorsing something outside of God, but I digress. So what are some of these similarities? Concepts that I found, and this isn't just in Hinduism, these these are in other philosophies as well. They're concepts that are what I call universally true and accepted, meaning most of the time, a rational, decent human being would agree with. And the Gita in this example talks about concepts like selfless service, using your natural gifts, how pride is evil, forgiveness is good for you, fighting our flesh, enjoying things as they come, being fun and lighthearted, needing community, don't judge the moment. And there are some things verbatim that are in the Bible that Jay Shetty mentions in Think Like a Monk. These are things like meditate on good things. That's in Philippians 4.8. Be the light of the world. That's Matthew 5.14. People are a part of one body. That's Romans 12.5 and a bunch of other places that Paul talks about. You know them by their fruit. That's Matthew 7.16. Don't rejoice in your enemy's misfortunes. That's Proverbs 24.17. So we can look at the Gita and the Bible and find all these similarities. Now, why would we pick Christianity over another religion or another philosophy like Buddhism or Hinduism or something along those lines. Now, if we look at timelines, some religions predate Christianity. Judaism predates Christianity. (laughs) Yet there are many similarities between these old world religions and the principles that Jesus taught. So if the principles that Jesus taught that are found in these other religions that are morally sound and true to the point where people who don't believe in him at all also follow them. Well, that leads me to believe that everything else he claims also has to be true. 
And that would include stating that he is the only son of God. Now, the question that relates to the topic of this episode is, well, if there's all these similarities, why can't we just believe in Hinduism or one of these other religions? Well, I'm glad you asked. I will answer your question with more questions. That's helpful, right? (laughs) Well, I want to ask the question, do any of these other religions answer the why we were created? Do any of them have a reason for it? Um, Buddhism believes that we should live this life in order to achieve enlightenment. Hinduism believes that we are participating in the cycle of reincarnation and that we and the creator are one. And, you know, of course, there's a bunch of other religions that I'm, just for the sake of time, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go through each one, but I want to ask the question, like, okay, you know, they're telling us how we should use this life, but are they answering the why? Is there an answer anywhere in that? I'll leave that part up to you and I can, I'll let you make your own conclusions. I have mine, but I'll let you think about that for a little And also, this begs another question. Even if some maybe do answer this question of why we are created, I didn't particularly find a solid one, but I want to ask another question. Why is the story of Jesus the only story of resurrection where a human transcends death? Now, the difference between resurrection and reincarnation is that Jesus died and rose again as the same person. So that's essentially beating death as himself and not as a completely different person or being. So now I'm thinking out loud here. If you were God or the creator of the universe, doesn't it make sense to do the one thing that humans can't do, which is come back to life on their own. And wouldn't you do that while remaining the same being? And that's the difference between the resurrection and the idea of reincarnation is people die, but you come back to this earth as something completely different, whether it's a human or even another being. So that's the other question of, do any of the other religions have the concept of the resurrection. It's that piece in Jesus' story, that distinction, that makes the larger narrative cohesive rather than just restarting like you would in a video game with no memories or anything like that. Just another question to to consider. If sometimes you're questioning, you know, why did I pick Christianity? Why is this the one that that I should be sticking with? Number three, there are too many rules. People are too judgmental. And on top of that, they seem miserable. This has three parts to this reason because I feel as though they're all related and intertwined. If you have one, you have the other. If you have the other, you have the other two and, and so forth. There's a special place in my heart for people who have this mentality. I get it. I hear you. 
I believe this narrative all throughout my teens and early 20s and nearly up to a, a couple years ago before I had really thought about what it meant to be a follower of Christ. Let's look at the Ten Commandments. These are the rules that people are referring to, which God gave to Moses. Now, even though there are only ten that are written, most situations that people face relate to one of these ten elements in one way or the other. And of course, Jesus was able to simplify ten into two. Love God, love people, in that order. So, too many rules, I mean, that's just two. (laughs) Of course, I'm being facetious, but let's move on. Commandments like don't murder and don't steal, those are obvious. But don't covet or lie. Don't have sex before marriage. Like, those aren't as obvious. And, well, they probably aren't as bad as murdering and stealing, right? Wrong. See, our first mistake is ranking sins. I'm using air quotes again. Ranking sins. That is our human brain or our our flesh trying to rationalize and justify two of our favorite things to do when we're when we're acting from our flesh and remember that's the childish thinking that we went over in in first corinthians 13 and that doesn't uh always mean childish like a child though that does make sense um i'm also using it to be synonymous with an immature believer or you know a new believer so think about this Think about what God is if you're a Christian or what God would claim to be if you're a non-believer. He created the universe and he loves you. And he gave us the Bible as a, a guide, for lack of a better word. Now, if he knows everything about this world that he created and he wants the best for you, then us assuming that everything in the Bible is in our best interest makes sense. So what if we shifted our thought from this book is a bunch of rules to this book tells me how I can keep my soul safe? That changes the way you think about it, right? Some Christians, not all, have twisted this thought into how can I point out all the flaws in others so that I seem like I'm following the rule book the best? There is so much wrong with that mentality. I can make judgment its own series, and I might, but for now, let's just touch on a few points. Being judgmental is one of the top turnoffs that I've gathered from people when they disclose to me that they don't believe. And let's define judgmental here too, so we're all on the same page. It's defined as having an excessively critical point of view. There are many ways to take that, but I'm going to use the general idea that being judgmental here means one believes they are superior in one way or another compared to another person. So in short, being judgmental means you think you're better than someone else. So this mindset, along with believing the Bible is just a rule book, is a terrible combination. That's how you get the Westboro Baptist Church, the extremists that go around shaming and guilting everybody and saying you're going to hell. That's where 
that stems from. Going with the rule book idea can lead into believing in punishment. And again, let's define what punishment is. It's the infliction or imposition of a penalty as retribution for an offense. So essentially, something bad has to be done to you to make up for the bad that you did. Again, let's take a look at who God is. God is not a punisher. If he were, Jesus would never have been born to save us. Now, Jesus took the fall for humanity's sins, so we did not have to be punished with death. And again, that's a whole topic in and of itself of why Jesus was born. Jesus paid our tab on our behalf and was punished severely by man, and he was completely innocent. God disciplines. Now, what's the difference? Discipline is training one to adhere to a code of behavior and correct disobedience. Now, what is this code of behavior that you ask? It's not being mean or causing hurt to ourselves or others and acknowledging who God is in the process. That's the code of behavior. That's the simplified 10 commandments that we discussed earlier. Each of those things aren't super fun things that we're, that we're missing out on. They're things that hurt us and each other. God's rules for us are don't hurt yourself and don't hurt others because I care about all of you. And the reason I need you to acknowledge me as your only God is how I get you to listen to me and not do these things. It all connects to each other. And when we choose not to listen to God or to distort his commandments and we become legalistic and tyrannical and we start shaming people, we are taking on God's role of judgment, which is an incredibly arrogant thing to do when we don't even have a small sliver of the entire bigger picture that God has. Again, incredibly arrogant. And I'll be one of the first ones to embarrassingly admit I have done this. I've went out thinking, oh, well, I know, and you really meant this, and you did this, and your intentions were this, and so forth. And man, was I embarrassed. Believing that we have the power to judge people's hearts and intentions when that is reserved specifically for God because he has all the answers, that's where things go wrong incredibly. And you become a little, I don't know, it's like a hall monitor gone bad and just waiting to give out detention slips because, oh, well, look, I'm following God the best and I'm doing his work. And it's easy to let pride get in the way. And that's how you become judgmental. And honestly, when you have that mentality, it feeds into, okay, well, when I'm not doing these things and I'm not you know, following the rules the best. Well, now I'm upset and now I'm miserable and I'm going to take that out on everyone else. That's where people are getting, well, no one even seems happy to be a Christian. When you're looking at Christianity as a bunch of rules to be followed, that's not fun. That isn't how God wants us to behave. Now, for the interest of time, I'm going to stop here for today. We got through half of the reasons, which is actually perfect. So I can make the other part to this going through the other three reasons. 
and then the conclusion of how this all ties together. So, but for now, thank you so much for tuning in. I did make an Instagram page. It's head on a platter underscore in case you guys want to follow. I posted a story just to say, hey, sorry for missing out on Monday. <laughs> and I might use that if anyone wants to interact with me and say like, hey, Nikki, I'd really like if you talked about, you know, this topic or the next or things like that. And side note, I just want to say now I understand why YouTubers are always saying like, hey, guys, go like and subscribe, turn on the notifications. Oh, that totally does make sense. Because I've been telling people manually, hey, just put out a new episode and trying to put out um, episodes on Mondays. So yeah, just my long winded way of saying go follow my Instagram if you want to keep up on the journey. And maybe even follow me on Spotify, you'll get the hit the bell and you'll see maybe not every Monday, but on a Monday, there may be a new episode from me. So thanks for listening, guys. And I will talk to you later.